Okay, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, while you're turning there, a couple of announcements. There is a card for Noah on the back table. Please see that, sign that, send him a little note. Pray for them. I heard from him this morning. There's a lot of sickness going around again. Their family is sick. Uh, he said half of the church plant has been gone or out for the last two weeks with just crazy bugs. And we are just kind of discussing some of that when we took our trip over there back in April. We were really praying that the Lord would keep us from getting sick, and He did. Uh, but it's something they, they struggle with. It's, it's something in a third world type country, um, it's always a prevalent thing. And, and Noah's very busy, and it disrupts the work and the ministry besides and so I'm asking you to pray for them, for health, for strength, all right? Um, but there's a card on the back uh, to sign. Also, there are missionary wife cards in the copy room for the ladies to sign. So if you have any questions about them, please see Mrs. Leggett. If something comes to your mind, you have a question about uh, any of that, just go talk to her and she will get you what you need. But those cards are in the back or in the copy room as well, okay? All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if you have not been with us, we have been working our way through this chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is, is known um, as the love chapter. That's what we kind of call it because it's really all about charity, which that's the Greek word agape, which means love. And chapter 13 is not isolated all by itself. I mean, it's sort of parenthetical in, in, in the context of all of what Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians. And he's really writing regarding spiritual gifts and things uh, that he's been talking about. But it's very much tied to chapter 12. In chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is, is, is describing what a New Testament church is and how it's likened, un, it's a body, uh, but it's likened unto a physical body, meaning that uh, it, it's made up of many members that are all different, but they're all placed there by God for a particular purpose. He says that in, in verse 18 of chapter 12, but now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased Him. And He said to the church in Corinth, Ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. And so the context is local church. The context is the function inside of the Lord's church. And he says, so your church is made up of many different members, all different kinds of people, but everyone placed there by God. Not only are you placed there by God, but each one has been given a spiritual gift of some sort, at least one, to use in the church to serve the Lord, to edify the whole. Each person ought to use that gift to build up that body. And then he gets down to verse 25 and he says that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. He's talking about church unity here. He's talking about the fact that a church ought to be united in one. Even though it's full of different people, we ought to have the same exact goal to edify and build the body of Christ uh, so that we can serve the Lord, so that this body, which is a representation of Jesus Christ, can move on in continuing the work of Christ in this world. So he's talking about church unity here. And the church in Corinth was having some issues regarding 
church unity. They were jockeying for position. They were jockeying for rank, uh, for bringing attention to themselves. They, they lacked unity in the church. And that's what Paul was working to correct. Paul also said that that church in Corinth, they didn't come behind in any gift. They were, they were most gifted as far as uh, spiritual gifts were concerned, in, concerned inside of that church. And the problem, a part of the problem, was that they were thinking that some of those gifts were better than others, and some of them made them more important than others, and some of those gifts somehow made them more special in the body because they possessed this kind of a gift. And Paul is setting the record straight here, using the human body as that illustration and saying that every part is necessary and that there should be no division and no schism in the body. Well, Paul does all of that, but he ends chapter 12 with verse 31, where he says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Essentially, he's saying it's good that you have these spiritual gifts. Those are a blessing. And yet, I show you a more excellent way. It, that word means to exceed. It means to, beyond, to be beyond. It means out of measure. In other words, what he's saying is there is something that is infinitely better than the use of all of those spiritual gifts. And I want to show you what that is. And then he gets into chapter 13. And he starts to talk about godly love. In chapter 13, where we've been for the last couple of few weeks, Paul talks about what is the most important thing. The thing that is infinitely better. The thing that will actually bring about unity in the body of Christ. And he talks about, first of all, the preeminence of love. We read that in verses 30, or 1 through 3. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. He talks about the preeminence of love here. You can sacrifice, you can give, you can do all of these things, but if you don't have godly love, it doesn't profit you anything. And Paul talks here about the, the, the thing that is the most important and what ought to be preeminent, and that is godly love. And the whole premise of just these verses here is to show us that it's the most important thing. Let me say to you, when God's love is working in us, when God's love is displayed one to another in the body, it's the greatest testimony that we could actually have in this world. Because Jesus said, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, as if ye have love one toward another. Not only is it the greatest testimony that we could have in this world, when we walk in love one toward another, we're actually walking in obedience 
to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus said a new commandment, I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, even so also ye love one another. Not only are we the greatest testimony to the lost in the world through Christ's love, not only are we walking in obedience toward the Lord himself, but when we walk in love one toward another, we are actually proving that we are saved by the grace of God. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. It is love which gives. It is love which seeks not its own. It is Christ's love that is the best thing that we could covet that we could seek after. And so we talked about the preeminence of love, and the whole idea in those verses was that love is distinct from and superior to anything that we can do in service for the Lord. Regardless of what we do, if it's not infused with and carried out through the love of God, it's a waste of time. He says, even though you had all faith that you could remove mountains and have not charity, because it profits you nothing. What matters most is not whether we possess some sort of flashy gift that puts us in the front of people, that gives us recognition. What matters most is not how smart we are. What matters most is not what we can do or how well we are liked. What matters most is if you have God's love within you. And when we learn to love like Jesus Christ, that's when we've discovered what matters the most to the Lord. The preeminence of love. And then secondly, we started talking about the portrait of love in verses 4 through 7. And we, kind of, we got through some of that last week, and we're going to continue here today. And so our text is verse 4 down through verse 7. Charity suffereth long and is kind. This is the portrait of love, of Christ's love. It's what Christ's love actually looks like. Not our version of it when I say I love you and here's what I have in mind. No, what Christ's love looks like is this. He says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. We talked about the portrait of love, love's features. What does it look like? Well, verse 4 says that love is long-suffering. It suffereth long. And the word means patient endurance under provocation, The literal meaning of the word is long-tempered. And what it's showing us is that Christ-like love has a characteristic, and it reveals a truth about it, that it does not retaliate when it's provoked. That's hard when you're feeling attacked by others to not retaliate, to not want to say something back. But Christ-like love, acting, and you know what is love? What is love? It is, the, it is the concern and the care for the well-being and the promotion and the blessing of another. It is Christ's love working in me and through me towards another person for the care and the well-being of somebody else, their spiritual good. And Christ-like love, he says, first of all, is 
suffering long or long suffering. It's patient endurance under provocation. That means that when I talk to other people, I respond to other people the way I interact with other people. Even when I'm feeling attacked, because I care about you and your spiritual well-being, my response, if I love you, is not going to be one of retaliation. Well, let me tell you what's wrong with you! Kind of a response. Not only that, he says, love is kind. It means to act benevolently. It means to show oneself useful. It's a pretty interesting meaning. But love isn't nasty. It isn't mean. It respects others. It reaches out to others. It has the additional meaning of gentleness of spirit about it. And the side meaning, to show oneself useful... Is interesting, and it kind of makes me question, if we are not operating in Christ-like love and in kindness, does that mean that we are not useful to the Lord in the service of the church, in the service of the Lord? Verse 4 says that love envieth not. True love, Christ-like love, is not jealous It's not jealous over the abilities, the successes, the possessions, the accolades, the promotion of others. In other words, when someone else is doing well or thriving or they have something, true love for them means that I am not jealous over their blessings. Ever known somebody like that? Ever been like that? You see somebody else thriving You see somebody else being blessed and there's something inside like, I can't possibly be happy for you because I don't have that in me or for me. You know, no one's ever going to say that. No one's ever going to come out and say that. Like, no, I'm not happy for you that you're succeeding, but there's something that is very telling about the look on your face or the response or actions that you, in the way that you respond to somebody else. It envieth not. Instead of being jealous when others prosper or excel, love is pleased when they do well. I am so glad that the Lord is using you, and I am so glad that God is blessing you. That blesses my soul. It was jealousy that caused Joseph's brothers to throw him in a pit. But it was godly love that Joseph displayed when he said, those who meant it for evil, God meant it for good. He didn't hold it against his brothers. Verse 4 says, Love vaunteth not itself. It literally means this. It doesn't make a parade. In other words, it doesn't draw attention to itself. And what it's doing, it doesn't have to be the center of attention. If I love you, I don't have to make it about me. You ever know people who do that? They pretty much make everything about them. That's not Christ-like love. It doesn't vaunt itself. Verse 4 says it's not puffed up. It means it's not arrogant or proud or big-headed. It realizes, godly love realizes that, you know what, anything that I have, it's only by the grace of God. No matter what talent I have, no matter my abilities, no matter the gifts that I've been given, everything that I have is a result of the divine grace of God. It's not puffed up. It doesn't take credit for what what's doesn't belong to it. 
Verse 5 says it doesn't behave itself unseemly. It means that it's not rude. It doesn't treat others with disrespect. It treats others with respect, and it, bring, it brings consideration for another. Love is, is not friendly one day, but rude the next day. It doesn't behave itself unseemly. Verse 5 says it seeketh not her own. It means that it's not selfish or self-centered, but is actively interested in what will profit somebody else. Well, that's a novel concept, isn't it? If I really have love one for another toward you, the thing that I am interested in, the thing that I'm interested the most is what is going to profit you spiritually, physically in your life. How can, how can I bless your life? How can, how can my life help make your life better? It doesn't seek its own. It doesn't look to, it, to itself first, but it considers another ahead of, its, of itself. And of course, Jesus Christ is the prime example of all of these because this is God's love. And Jesus Christ himself is God. And the Bible describes God in one sentence. God is love. Amen. All right, I'll give myself an amen. That's good stuff. Yeah, we need that. We need to hear that. We need to hear that, how we react and interact and respond to one another. It needs to be being conformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, Christ Christ-like love. It's not easily provoked in verse 5. It mean, and the word means to sharpen alongside. That's what the word means. But here's, here's, here's how that plays out. It talks about, it talks about a, 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 a holding back of the temper. So in other words, godly love doesn't lose its temper. It doesn't have sudden eruptions of anger. Godly love overrules and overpowers the negative emotions. So we as people, as sinful people, sometimes we get those negative feelings inside, right? When we're talking to somebody or, and they're irritating us or they did something that's super irritating and inside it just starts to turn and like, oh, it's building up and it just wants to come out. But godly love is not easily provoked, it means that it has the power and it overrules those negative emotions so that there isn't a loss of temper, so that there isn't a sudden eruption of anger. So that means that, you know, if someone has a reputation, like I've tried to talk to you before, but all I get is just, I'm, I'm, I'm walking on eggshells because I'm afraid that you're just going to blow up or that you're just going to lose it. And you're just going to spew all the things that are, that are on the inside and they're going to come on the outside and they're going to be directed at me like, Ugh. hey, are we really operating in Christ-like love? Or are we easily provoked? You're red in the face. That anger's welling up inside, and there's no control to override and overrule those negative emotions. Godly love works to not make a situation worse, 
by reactive words or actions out of anger. And the reason behind that is because they're more concerned about the good of the relationship and the good and benefit of the other person than they are themselves. Does that connect? Does that connect? That's the reason. Because I love you, I'm more concerned about my relationship with you and the benefit of this than the way I feel in this current moment. Verse 5 says, thinketh no evil. It means takes no worthless inventory. Genuine love does not attribute evil motives to people. We're not assigning motives. Oh, I know why they did that. Without ever talking to them, without ever understanding where they're really coming from. Oh, I just, I know why they did that. Godly love doesn't attribute evil motives to people. The actions of others are not seen in their most negative light immediately. In other words, it works at giving the benefit of the doubt. Genuine love also does not dwell on what others may have done or something in the past. In other words, it's talking about something like this. It does not remember injury. It doesn't believe everything that it hears about another And it's not always looking for fault in other people. That's kind of how people operate sometimes. All they can see is the negative. All they can see is the things that they think are problems, the things that they perceive are issues. And those are the things that we want to talk about. But godly love doesn't recall the past mistakes of a spouse and use it against them. Godly love doesn't always remember the injury of somebody else. You did that. I'll never forgive you for that. It doesn't always believe everything that it hears about others either. Just because you hear it doesn't mean it's true. How about we go talk to people? How about we go find out if it's actually true? I want to hear this from you. This is what I heard. Is this true, brother? Can you explain that? Can you tell me about this? It's not always looking for fault. You get it? That's how I look. That's how some of you look. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm just sitting there with a critical eye, waiting for somebody to mess up, waiting for something that I can pick out. That's not genuine love. That's not Christ-like love. And that one's very convicting, actually. I'll, pro- I'll tell you something. You know what? Being in the pastorate, it, jade- it makes you jaded. That's something I have, to, I have to guard against. It's something I have to ask the Lord to help me with. You know what? Because you deal with people. You deal with sinful people all the time. And I am one too. And you can become very jaded. And it's like, oh, figures. Ha, huh? yep, I knew that was coming. Is that really operating in Christ-like love? That one's very convicting to me. Something I need to be reminded of often. And I think, I, I, what I think is, and what I believe, is, this, is, is if Christ-like love was actually being practiced in homes and in churches and in families and in relationships, a lot of the problems and a lot of the drama that we always seem to conjure up 
absolutely go away and there would be unity in the body. Someone said it's natural to love them that love us. But it's supernatural to love those that hate us. That's true. It's easy to say, oh, I love you to somebody who loves you back or shows it. But to actually show Christ-like love to people who don't like you, people who hate you, to treat them the same, that's something that we can't conjure up of ourselves in our flesh. That's Christ-like. God's love working in me and then through me. And that brings us to verse 6. And we'll consider verses 6 and 7 for the rest of our time. It's still describing what godly love looks like. In verse 6 it says, It rejoiceth not in iniquity. In other words, it's saying that love doesn't rejoice in sin. It's not... And here's how it looks. Because, you know, we would not say like, oh yeah, we just we, we rejoice in sin. That's not really the idea behind it. The idea behind it is sort of like, it's a secret thing where we sort of feel kind of glad or we secretly feel, uh, you know, when somebody else falls or somebody else messes up, we kind of have this feeling inside that it's like, yep, knew that was going to happen, uh-huh. And, and like, oh, I'm a prophet, I called that one, and yep, they kind of get what they deserve, and so on. That's kind of what that means. That Christ-like love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It's not, it's not secretly glad when somebody else falls or somebody else messes up, even when you knew it was coming. Does that make sense? It's terrible pride that finds pleasure when somebody else messes up. Or it's terrible pride that, that causes us to somehow feel better inside or feel better about ourselves or feel better about the way we look because somebody else messed up somewhere. That's usually... The pride inside is also usually the reason why people want to talk about it when somebody else messed up. And we want to gossip about it. We want to talk about it. Why is that? Because we feel better about ourselves inside somehow. But true love doesn't do that. Christ-like love doesn't rejoice when another believer falls or another believer has a problem or fails. But Christ-like love hurts inside with the injured member. And Paul said back in chapter 12 regarding the body that if, that, that, that if one member rejoices, all of the members rejoice with it. And if another member suffers, all of the members suffer with it. Why? Because we have the same care one for another. It hurts. When I see people leave the church, not for me personally, but I hurt for them, for their families. It's not going to go well. It's not going to end well. I certainly don't sit back and say, well, I told you so. As if somehow 
I'm more righteous or somehow better. Does that make sense? It ought to be grievous. It doesn't hold that kind of an attitude because it's more concerned. Godly love is more concerned about the care and the well-being and the spiritual profit of another. Verse 6 says it rejoices in truth. In other words, it means that love is glad for truth. Even when truth hurts, love is glad for it. Love is glad when truth wins the day. Praise God that God worked in a person's life and God got the victory. Truth won the day. Love rejoices in the truth. It doesn't hold the truth and say, I'm standing on truth. And it does it out of some sort of misplaced uh, sense of pride or something. But I'll stand on truth with love in the heart towards the individual that, that I know it hurts, but truth is, truth is exactly what you need. And the Bible also says faithful are the wounds of a friend who tell them the truth when they need to hear the truth, but they do it out of godly love. That's what godly love looks like. We can say all day long, I love you, but it's not our version of it that matters. It's Christ's. Is this what our words, I love you, and what our life actions demonstrate and prove one toward another? I want you to see in verse 7, because verse 7 talks about love's fortitude. So we talk about what it looks like in verses 4 through 6. Love's features, the portrait of it, but notice love's fortitude. Verse 7 says, Love beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Verse 7 says that love bears all things. The word beareth there is the Greek word stego. It means to roof over, and it means to cover in silence. Very interesting. Think of the meaning, the definition. Love beareth all things. It means to roof over. It means to cover in silence. So, it has not only the thought of putting up with the faults of others, I mean, I'm bearing the faults of others, but even covering them, it kind of goes in line with 1 Peter 4 and verse 8 that says, Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Love patiently endures. We talked about that already it also can overlook the faults in others, but instead of parading the failures and the faults of others and not just putting up with them, love covers them over and continues to love them in spite of those things. It does it in silence. It doesn't say, well, I put up with you, but I want you to know what your problem really is. Make sense? 
I can have a one-on-one conversation with somebody, and I can say, brother, I can say, sister, this is the thing that's in your life. I recognize that. Uh, I want to help you with it. I want to walk through you with this with you. I'd love to help you be better or gain victory over this in your life. And you know what? You're going to mess up from time to time. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter if you mess up. I still accept you. I still love you. I still want to walk through it with you. I want to help you be better in your life. And I want you to do the same for me when I have those shortcomings too. Because I can say, Brother Chris, I love you, but you got all these problems in your life, and I just want you to know, Chris, I'm putting up with you because I love you. (laughs) To roof over, to cover in silence. Imagine, imagine if the Lord Jesus were highlighting every one of my faults and every one of my problems. And he was continually bringing that before me, almost as if when you finally reach a point where you gain victory over this, you know, that's where real love is going to set in for us. It's almost like love is conditional in a sense like that. But not with Christ-like love. It's unconditional. In spite of the fact that you might mess up. That's how God loves us. Romans 5.8 said that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God commendeth or proved His love. But that's what Christ-like love is like. It beareth all things. And it says it believeth all things. This is what Christ-like love is. It believeth all things. Basically what that means is that love trusts. It trusts. Agape love is trusting. Agape love is the antithesis to suspicion. Let me talk about this for a second here. What is our tendency when we've been burned in the past? What's our tendency? To be suspicious, right? To lack trust. I've been burned in the past. I don't trust you. You, you, you say these things, but you know what? I don't really believe you. We'll wait and see. Now, there might be some room for some of that in our life, but the inclination... The natural inclination is to be suspicious. But God's love is greater than that. That's what it's saying. God's love can conquer all of these things. Sometimes, listen, sometimes those suspicions, those come from real insecurities in our life. But real love and God's love can help us grow. It can help us become more mature. It can help us become Christ-like to move past those things in our life. And so that when we see others and when we could deal with others, it's not always out of suspicion it's that God's love is greater God's love is bigger than that it's bigger than me it's bigger than my insecurities and the Lord can help me move past that the Lord can help you too and what I care about is your well-being and God's working in your life we need to ask the Lord to help us heal from past experiences that have jaded us that has made us suspicious And to learn to love like He does. 
It believeth all things. I'm not going to listen to everything that I've ever heard. I want to give the benefit of the doubt. I want to trust. But I actually trust the Lord because He's bigger than all of that. Then verse 7 says, Hopeth all things. It hopeth all things. It might sound silly to some people, but agape love thinks the best and it hopes for the best. It never gives up hope for the best. It refuses to accept failure. It always holds out hope that things are going to be right in the end because the Lord is the one who's working. In other words, let me just apply it here. He's like, well, how does that apply? It hopes all things. Godly love doesn't give up hope that people can actually change as God works in their life. Some people are a lost cause. That's what we like to say. Don't we? But there's not a single soul that is too far gone that God cannot save. Unless that heart, as only God knows, but unless that heart is has continually or completely rejected God, the sin unto death. But as far as sin goes, person, how messed up their life is, how messed up their life has been, when I really love them as Christ loves, I don't give up hope that people can change as God works in their life. I can change as God works in mine. Amen? So can others. Verse 7 also says that it endureth all things. It beareth all things, it believeth all things, it hopeth all things, it endureth all things. That's, that's a military term. Basically, it means that love won't give up its ground. Some ground that, a, that an army has won, has taken in a battle. They're going to hold the line. They're not going to give up the ground. Love stands its ground. It continues in spite of everything that can be thrown against it. Titus 2.3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Christ-like love continues in spite of persecutions, in spite of ill-treatments. Love bears the unbearable. It believes the impossible. It holds on to the incredible. It never gives up. I feel like giving up sometimes in my flesh. You probably have felt that before too. You know, it's just one struggle bus after another. It's putting out one fire after another. It's dealing with one problem after another, and then all kinds of multiple problems. And it's just like, oh. That's how you feel sometimes in life, right? But real love endures. In spite of all of that, it continues on. In spite of the persecution, in spite of ill treatment, in spite of unkind words, I'm committed. I'm committed to you. Amen? 
That's what real Christ-like love is. You might be treated unfairly by a person in your life. It might be somebody really close to you, and they treat you unfairly, but godly love says, I still love you. I won't treat you the same in return, but I'll endure it because I love you and I want what's good for you in your life. That's the portrait of Christ-like love. That's what's commanded of us, to love one another as I have loved you. Amen? Well, Paul says, I show you a more excellent way. It's, it's beyond all of these others. It is great. But what makes it so great? Why is it exceeding and beyond? Well, because love is the defining characteristic of who God is. And like I said before, the Bible describes God in one sentence. God is love. That's what He looks like toward me. 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And if this were practiced in our life, if this were practiced, and we ask the Lord, help me to love like you, may your love work in me and then work out towards others. There wouldn't be schisms in the body. There wouldn't be rifts. There would be unity. And the body would be edified and it would grow. And we are never more God-like or Christ-like than when God's love is working through us towards other people. And may the Lord help us to walk in the Spirit so that He may produce His love in us. Amen? Take a minute. Examine yourself. I must examine myself. And we need to take a look at our own life. Is this the way that we operate towards others. What areas of my life are deficient in this? And where can I ask the Lord to help me to be more like Him? Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that You would challenge us with truth. Thank You for it. And we sometimes know that it does sting a little, it does hurt, because the Word of God is a mirror that shows us what manner of men we are. might squirm around a little bit. We might want to pitchfork that across the room or behind us to somebody else. But Lord, I pray that we would look inwardly, that we would look at our own actions, we would look at our own heart first and have the heart that says, Lord, I see where I am sorely deficient, or where I have not operated in Christ-like love before. Here's what my tendency is. Lord, I'm sorry for that. I need you to help me. Lord, I need you to change me. I yield to you.
I want to be like Christ. And Lord, I pray that that would be the humble heart response. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's everything good about that. Having a humble and a surrendered heart before the Lord that says, Lord, I know it. You're right. I agree with you. Lord, would you change me? And Lord, I pray that you would grow us more into the image of Christ, that it would be evident in the way that we respond and react and interact with God's people. Let us love one another, even as Christ has loved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.